0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Herd Mentality, and once again, I'm joined by a very special guest.
1: I'm James David Manning, everybody.
0: And you're here today talking... With Adam Reitz. Firstly, Pastor Manning, welcome back. Ordinarily, people who I satirise aren't foolish enough to respond to me, but you put a full nine-minute response to our first quote-unquote interview up on your YouTube channel. Unwittingly, you've given me even more material... Now, you accuse me of having...
1: Chopped up my words and had me saying things that I did not say.
0: Well, in a sense, you really did say those things and indeed continue to do so. But you took issue with the fact that I...
1: Dissected my statements regarding uh, Starbucks coffee and, and, uh, and, and... 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 And semen.
0: Hmm... Your thoughts on the animation? Not a very good likeness. I agree, but those who watched the clip absolutely loved it. You're a goldmine of logical fallacies and demonstrably false claims.
1: And they just love to hear me talk. That's what it is.
0: Can't disagree. It is very entertaining. So let's go. Could you please clarify your position?
1: Everybody knows that you know, I said I'm a homo so- sodomite and that I drink semen.
0: Well, I didn't even have to edit anything in that sentence. This one's all on you.
1: Did you see what I did? Did you? Can you believe?
0: that they would do it. It's astonishing, isn't it? I mean, these jokes write themselves. Now, let's be very clear about what you're claiming so we can analyse it.
1: Uh, But Starbucks really has discovered... That sodomites love the taste of semen in their lattes. Go on. uh, This is not a quietly kept secret.
0: Now you stand by this claim. It's ironclad. It's concrete. Just be careful what you wish for.
1: It is true. It is absolutely true about Starbucks and semen and their lattes. What are
0: they charging for a cup of inseminated joe?
1: Nine dollars! That's cheaper than a 47th Street or 42nd Street Street walker!
0: Sounds like a bargain. Well, for for both transactions, really. I
1: find a lot of pleasure in discussing this.
0: So it would seem. Now, would you allow me to simply Google this story?
1: The problem is, is that I'm so factual. Mm Hmm? And
0: on point. Okay, let's delve into this. The original story was published on Huzzlers.com, a satirical website. So it's, it's fictional. That should be fairly obvious. The link to that article is in the notes below this video.
1: So you say I am off my rocker by suggesting that Starbucks has found a way to have sex in public for $9 a hit?
0: Well, yes. I mean, it's relatively simple to check the sources using the Internet. This is how critical thinking works. We don't start with the conclusion and work backwards from there, because then we'd, we'd all end up believing crazy things like Christianity, Islam, semen in coffees and so forth. We take a claim and we look for ways to disprove it.
1: It is disgusting, but I must defend myself.
0: Yes, I would imagine it's soul-destroying, but my point is this. You could have avoided being placed in this situation with a simple fact-checking exercise. It just seems to me that you...
1: Cannot resist publicising what I do.
0: Ah, so it's more about sensationalism than anything else. Yes. Hmm... Well, now we have a rudimentary understanding of research, could you give me an example of another fallacy, please, by conflating two completely unrelated
1: topics? There are people who love to drink semen and who love to drink blood.
0: Right. You realise that Dracula was Bram Stoker's fictional character, written in 1897.
1: I mean, this has been going on since... I don't know since the sacrifice child sacrifice has been happening. Hmm.
0: Could you pass the burden of proof for this statement on to me?
1: Yes. And then the other thing is you will not deny that there are people that love to drink blood, would you? The Dracula types.
0: Okay. Now what you're doing is asking me to defend something that hasn't been demonstrated to be real. It's a ploy designed to make the opposition look silly. Pastor James D. Manning from Adler World Ministries, thanks for your time.
1: You need to know what's going on. And you were a retort man, and you can't be serious about this. I'm as serious as Coca-Cola was with putting cocaine in their early drinks and now making a synthetic cocaine where the synthetic uh, uh, formula is locked away in a vault in Atlanta and the drug dealers from down in Colombia, South America, wants to get that formula because it's better than the real cocaine.
0: Welcome to The Herd Mentality, an eclectic weekly mix of atheistic, humanistic, and scientific conversations with complete strangers. I've never met them and they've never met me, but we're throwing caution to the wind, taking a risk with a dodgy internet connection, and God willing, entertain you with some scintillating repartee. I'm your host, Questionable Adam, found on Twitter, Facebook, and Google, and it's time to meet our guests. Ladies and gentlemen, joining me down the line from the US, I have Jonathan Figdor. How are you, sir?
2: Good. Thanks for having me on your show.
0: It's a pleasure. Now, you can be followed on the electric Twitter at J F-I-G-D-O-R. And what has propelled you into fame of late?
2: Well, I'm the humanist chaplain at Stanford, and I wrote a book with a Silicon Valley entrepreneur called Lex Bayer, and the book is titled Atheist Mind, Humanist Heart. Rewriting the Ten Commandments for the 21st Century.
0: (laughs) They are in dire need of being rewritten. (laughs) A little bit more relevance couldn't go astray. What's a humanist chaplain?
2: Good question. So humanist chaplains are in some ways similar to religious chaplains in that we provide counselling resources for students, we organise community events and uh, programmes like that, but we certainly don't believe in God. We We exist to provide kind of... Uh, what we call philosophical counseling and support for students who are away from home to organize educational activities for humanists, atheists, and the non-religious. And then uh, the third wing of what we do is to represent the humanist, atheist, and non-religious perspective in interfaith dialogues at the school and from within the Office of Religious Life. So this ensures that the Office of Religious Life doesn't view atheist students as an enemy or as the opposition, but understands that atheist students ought to be included within the religious life programming at the university.
0: There's quite a bit of divisiveness, given that uh, some of the leaders in the atheist movement typically go for the jugular, and, and, and a lot of atheists sort of set out to be, well, I want to be the next hitch. I want to sort of take these people down, destroy their beliefs. How productive is that in reality?
2: So part of why we wrote the book is that we think that there's been an overemphasis on the negatives, on what atheists and humanists don't believe, and not enough attention has been paid to the positive beliefs and values of atheists and non-religious people. So even though you know Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins have written intelligent books that have very good and incisive criticisms of religion, I just think that there's more a necessity of educating religious people about the positives and beliefs and values of atheists so that they don't feel as threatened by us.
0: Mm. Atheism, by and large, is, is now associated with, uh, and, and probably for, for, as, for as long as the history of ever, has been associated with negative connotations. So this is a book aiming to change the perception.
2: Yeah, we're aiming to correct the misperception of atheists as bad people. We think this is totally inaccurate and, and not correct.
0: So why write the book and how is it helping others?
2: Uh, so as a humanist chaplain through the years, a number of students have approached me saying, look, uh, I've given up my belief in God. I don't believe in God anymore. I want to know what's next, what's worth believing in. So uh, we decided to that, you know, I could give people a book chapter here. I could give people uh, an essay here, sometimes a blog post, uh, maybe a, a TED talk. But no one had tried to answer the question comprehensively from the ground up, what's worth believing in? if you give up your belief in God. And so that's what we took as the charge. And, you know, it's not surprising that this is a really timely issue. I don't know if you're aware of this, but an October poll from Barna.org, which is a Christian polling organization, found that 38% of all Americans are unchurched, which is defined as only going to churches for weddings and funerals, you know, never going to church services, not praying on a regular basis. That's, 38% of all Americans are secular. And if we turn to young people, it's 48% of people under the age of 30. That's an astonishingly high number. And that shows that a lot of young people, they've given up religion, they've given up their religious beliefs, but they're still looking for something to believe in. They're looking for some way to understand their beliefs and values. And so that's why we wrote the book.
0: Humanism fills that gap quite nicely exactly what's involved in humanism
2: humanism is basically the belief that science is the best way to understand the natural world and then relating to ethics ethics ought to be based on human experience and human uh, perception and this is something that we talk a lot about in our book the first half of our book is about the nature of reality and how we can understand facts about reality the second half of the book is then about human behavior and human interactions and it's that second half where we talk about the idea of morality being subjective and not objective, that's so controversial to so many people, but we think offers some really uh helpful solutions for understanding morality.
0: It's hard for people to wrap their minds around, isn't it? Subjective morality being something that is uh not necessarily a good thing. I, I think it is a good thing, because if we didn't have it, we'd still be keeping slaves, uh, we'd be living in the dark ages, it, it allows for progression over time.
2: Sure. What I would say is that there's two kind of stories for how ethics comes about. If you believe in objective ethics, you believe that things that are moral are moral for time uh, eternal. You think that they're true before human beings evolved, and you think that they would be true even after there are no human beings left. This is roughly a Kantian understanding of objective morality. But that doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, Really, we're going to say that before human beings evolved, murder was wrong, or, or any organisms evolved at the plant stage, murder was wrong? That doesn't make sense. And if the earth was destroyed and all human beings are gone, I don't understand why tax fraud would still be immoral. Uh, on the other hand, I think if you look at it from the subjective view of morality, morality is a human construct. It's something that we created in order to solve a problem that we faced which was, in the state of nature, before we had societies, you were really quite vulnerable as one person. So human beings gradually came together and decided to give up some of their rights, say my right to murder people wantonly, in exchange for the right of protection from murder. And so we developed simple societies. This is broadly known as the social contractarian view of morality. And this has not only been understood in political science terms, but in game theory terms. We've put this to test in the lab in tit-for-tat experiments and other examples in Professor Axelrod's research.
0: How do we objectively determine what is right from wrong using science?
2: So we don't objectively determine what's right and wrong. That's what we think is the biggest difference. In our view, what's right and wrong emerges from the preferences and beliefs of individuals. So let's take an example of this. Our American society is extremely individualistic, like we don't even really have nationalized healthcare in any serious way. Uh, it puts a lot of risk on individuals. And that's one way of living your life. It's not, I think, the most intelligent way, but I can understand why someone would choose this as the way they want to live their life. If we turn, on the other hand, and we look at Confucian societies in Southeast Asia, their view of morality looks totally different. In their societies young people have moral obligations to care for their elders, we don't have any such idea that you have an obligation to take care of your ailing grandparents or anything like that. And so when I look at these two systems of morality, both of which seem to be fairly effective and I can understand why people would want to live within them, the individualistic lens and then the Confucian lens, I don't really see that one of these is right and one of these is wrong. It just is, what do you prefer? What's your preference in this situation? And so a person who's brought up in a context of valuing family and thinking that's most important is probably going to continue that as their moral value.
0: It's inter- I lived in Vietnam for a year, and it was quite a different experience, the Asian way of looking after the elders, because they, the younger generation do, in fact, take on a significant burden by looking after their elders. And the, the whole society is constructed completely differently. It was challenging for me to process, but I looked at it in, in the simple terms of <laughs> it's not better, it's not worse, it's just different.
2: Exactly. I, I think there's another example that can we can use to discuss this, which is uh, Jean-Paul Sartre in his essay, Existentialism is a Humanism, gives us the example of a young man who's choosing between going to join the resistance and fight the Nazis or to stay home and take care of his ailing mother. Now, it seems to me like this is a choice between two good options. I think that the choice to go and fight the Nazis is a wonderful and noble choice, but the choice to take care of your ailing mother is also an extremely important and morally significant choice to make. And it doesn't seem like objective ethics has a good way of handling this case. They have to say that ultimately one of these options was the right choice to make and the other option was the wrong choice to make. And our view is totally different. We say that as we look at this case of this young man and his two options, his choice that he makes, whether it's to join the resistance or to care for his ailing mother, that tells us about his moral compass and about what he really values. So if he's a young man who's brought up to value caring for the elderly or medical uh, intervention or the idea of, of sacrificing to help others, then he's probably going to be inclined to want to care for his ailing mother in this circumstance. But on the other hand, if he's raised to value the idea of standing up for people who can't defend themselves or protecting the freedoms that we all enjoy, then he's probably going to be inclined to join the resistance and fight the Nazis.
0: Would his decision-making been different had he read your book?
2: (laughs) Well, I think that here's what's important about what you can get out of the book is you can find out what lots of people value – but everyone values different things. And what's most important is for you to figure out what your own beliefs and values are and how they relate to each other. So for this young man, I wouldn't be asking to change his beliefs. I'd ask him, well, what do you actually value? And that's how he would make this decision.
0: Mm. See, I've been having a, a long back and forth with a Christian. And this particular person, is a she's, she's in quite deep. And it seems that we value completely different things to the point where it's very difficult to focus on a particular point. So I'll be taking the, the overarching view of the implications that religious beliefs have on a society, and she can't really get past the, well, God loves me bit. It's very, very challenging to do, but I'm, I'm being persistent. <laughs> I'll right. get there in the end. Have you got any tips for me?
2: You know, I find that the easiest thing to do, you know, one of the things I think religion does badly is try to force everyone to think like they do. One of the advantages of being an atheist is that we don't have an agenda, right? There's no call that comes from, you know, Christopher Hitchens or Richard Dawkins to convert everyone to be a non-believer. We're perfectly content to have religious people in our lives as family members, as friends, uh, so long as they don't push their religious values on other people. We don't. We shouldn't really have a problem with religious people. And so that puts us in a unique place where in my friendships with religious people, I don't feel like I have an ulterior motive to convert them or bring them over to my way of thinking. I mean, certainly I want to have these conversations and I, and I try to share my thoughts with them, but I don't really care what they call themselves at the end of the day. And, you know, I, I think that that's one of our real advantages that we as atheists have over the religious, that we don't need everyone to be just like us.
0: No, I, look, I, I agree, but with, in terms of agenda, uh, the humanist in me is screaming at the moment. There, there is an agenda. <laughs> the agenda is a better world outcome for the majority of the population.
2: Right. When I meant agenda, I just meant not getting someone to change their faith belief necessarily.
0: Yeah. See, the person who I've been having this off air, uh, off social media discussion with, is a very active proponent of anti-abortion and some really right-wing stuff. I do have an agenda at play here. I do want to see that sort of thinking be challenged and and be changed. To me, it would be a success for this person to change their position.
2: I think there's something valuable about helping people rethink their beliefs, but no one's going to change their belief until they're ready to do it. I'm not sure if you remember your experience of becoming non-religious, but for a lot of people... They have these doubts for a long time, and they struggle with these doubts, and they really think, "Man, d- how do I explain how many people were at the tomb, or why God punishes people for eternity for temporary sins?" And eventually, if they meet enough, you know, compassionate, nice atheists who are comforting, comfortable, and then they feel comfortable coming out of their shoes and saying, "Look, I don't believe in God anymore. I just can't. I can't believe in this stuff." Mm. So, I think a lot of the time. What we need to provide is give people those thoughts, share your perspective with them, but don't force it on them. Just always be there and always be willing to listen to them. And eventually, I think most people come around to a reasonable way of thinking. We've seen it, especially with young people. 48% of people under the age of 30 are non-religious in the U.S. That's an astonishing number. It used to be 3% in the past 20 years, and now it's 48%. That shows that people have given up believing in ancient tribal myths, and are looking to base their lives on reason, science, uh, a modern epistemology.
0: Anecdotally, how much of this can you attribute to the rise of the internet as a research tool or social media?
2: You know, I'm not a statistician or a researcher in sociology, so I'm not the right person to ask, but... It is awfully convenient to note that basically once the internet emerged, there was an enormous shift in atheism. Now, I'm not sure that's a causal relationship. It might, there may be other explanations for it, but I definitely think that the ability to communicate cheaply and easily with people all around the world, uh, to share your beliefs in a private forum, I think these things have made it easier to be a non-believer. And I think that overall, the internet cuts against religiosity because it gives exposure to more perspectives and more different views.
0: Hmm. Let's move a little on here. You've got some money up for grabs. How can I get my hands on it?
2: Yes. So uh, the most important aspect of our book, Atheist Mind, Humanist Heart, is the idea of getting people to come up with their own beliefs and commandments, discover your own beliefs and analyze them rationally. And so to inspire people to do that, we put our money where our mouth is. And my co-creator, Lex Bayer, has created this Rethink Prize for $10,000. People can visit our website at www.atheistmindhumanistheart.com, and they can uh, submit their beliefs and then vote on them and get their friends to vote on them. And uh, in the end, a panel of celebrity judges will choose 10 finalists, and each one of those finalists will receive a $1,000 prize. So it's a fantastic opportunity for you to think about your beliefs in a thoughtful and empathetic and compassionate way and actually get something out of, uh, get some kind of benefit for yourself at the end of the day, in addition to a more thoughtful and uh, happy and contemplative life.
0: It's a really good idea. I like that. <laughs> well, we like it too. And
2: Daniel <laughs> Dennett, the prominent American philosopher, actually tweeted about it saying, are you embarrassed about the original Ten Commandments? Help us create a new one. And we're just, <laughs> So excited to see prominent American philosophers getting involved in this and trying to spread this idea beyond just the atheist movement.
0: I know we're sticking with Ten Commandments because that's what it's always been, but how many commandments do you think we really need?
2: You know, we came up with our list of ten, and we think that's reasonable, but that's not... We did that mostly for uh, to satiate our publishers, to be quite frank. <laughs> uh, the list actually does come out reasonably to ten. There are ways that you could probably combine some of these beliefs into one, or maybe break them up and have them be more. But look, we think that a person ought to be able to explain their broad worldview in, you know. 20 or 30 sentences to explain what they value, what they care about, and why they care about those things. And so that's why we think the idea of coming up with commandments is useful, not to carve them in stone and make them permanent and forever and always binding, but to say, look, these are my guideposts, these are the ideals I aspire to, this is what I'm aiming for, and I'll adjust those over time. You made a great point of saying that if you believe in objective ethics, you know we might still be believing that slavery is right one of our points is that our beliefs should evolve over time and change with the evidence and so that's why we're getting people to rethink about their beliefs share them with other people and and kind of try to try to keep yourself on the cutting edge
0: yeah well I'll, i'll give you one for the modern day um commandment number let's pick an arbitrary number seven uh don't hack my nude iCloud photos how's that
2: yeah. Hey, I think this is a, a really important one. I mean, celebrity <laughs> privacy, the, the way these women are exposed on the internet, it's absolutely morally wrong. And it's, it sickens me that people just expose people's private details and private lives. It's very unfortunate. And, you know, as we look at the original list of 10, if you were coming up with 10 things to prohibit, you wouldn't waste so many of the spaces with ways to pray properly and how to satiate <laughs> God. You know, I'd probably put genocide, you know, don't commit genocide, don't commit rape, don't commit arson on my list.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that would be uh, up there.
2: Conspicuously <laughs> absent from the original 10. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it'd be, uh, it'd add to the very, very long existing list of contradictions in the Bible, wouldn't it, <laughs> if they were to put that in there?
2: It's also really difficult for me to take moral advice from people who thought slavery is, is right. I mean, th- there's a lot of difficult moral questions out there, but... Should I own people like farm equipment, I don't think is that difficult to get right. And if you get it wrong, that really does tell me that your moral compass is seriously defective.
0: Now, this is an interesting point. Let's let's focus on this a little. I, I often get into arguments, arguments, inverted commas, discussions with people on Twitter, and they claim that they have the holy book. It's the perfect word of God or, or inspired by God. And I draw the analogy, well, okay, it was written by human beings. Do we agree? Yes. Okay, well, so was Spider-Man. So how do we know which one is true? And then I'll bust out the slavery question. And then there's a lot of hopscotch (laughs) jumping all over the place. And then we, we get down to the point that they. I don't think it's necessarily their moral compass because there's a struggle from within. They can see that it's wrong but they're backed into a corner, I have to defend this point. And I would love to be able to help liberate.
2: (laughs) Well, I think what you hit there is you hit a moment of cognitive dissonance where a person says, I believe in my faith A, but my faith A tells me to do one thing and I think B, which is the opposite of that. And so how do I handle this? And I think that the process of becoming non-religious is experiencing enough of these moments of cognitive dissonance where you say, wait, I can't believe both of these things at the same time. It can't be true. Hmm. Uh, and so I think that eventually there's this language of uh, planting a seed and letting it, it sprout. You know, just give people the seeds of doubt. You don't have to berate them. We don't have to win the argument. We just have to say, you know, what if you're wrong? What if one of the other religions happens to be true? What would you say then?
0: Well, or, we're just, just making you know, our God angrier, as, <laughs> as I think right, Homer or, Simpson pointed out.
2: Or how did the most intelligent being in the universe get the slavery question, which is probably the easiest moral question, wrong? Like, you know, we don't have to hammer that and win it. It's just, it's hard to walk away from from that and not be rocked to your core and think, geez, you know, that's that's a good point.
0: But keeping it friendly is key. The positive atheism thing is, is a really important point. Berating and berating and berating really gets us nowhere. But setting an example, which is kind of what i try to do and and i think you too jonathan i think that's it's paving the way for the next generation as the statistics are pointing out to liberate and yeah a new generation of people by being friendlier uh
2: what i think is so funny is that the christopher hitchens like i'm going to debate you and i'm going to snark down to you like i think that the john stewart approach to religion is is even better where he just mocks the funny stuff and you know, you don't have to hammer them on what they're wrong about. You can just say, you know, it's kind of funny the, you know, the long overcoats and the heavy wool hats in winter. You really think God wanted to freeze human fashion in the 18th century? Like <laughs> it's you don't have to you don't have to to pound away at that argument to to really influence someone's mind and make them think, "Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Why does God say I have to wear heavy black coats in August and, and these goofy hats? It just doesn't
0: it doesn't make sense." And shellfish is too delicious to pass up.
2: Shellfish and bacon? I mean, that's how you know it's not true.
0: (laughs) Jonathan, where can we find a copy of your book?
2: You can find it on Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble or any fine retailers.
0: And what about the rubbish ones?
2: (laughs) Well, eventually it'll be in their use section, I'm sure.
0: (laughs) Excellent. Be able to pick it up at a service station in the $2 box. Hopefully yes. that's a. Oh, long... well, I should
2: also mention that you know we're not trying to make money through this. I've agreed to donate all the proceeds from the sales of the book uh, back to the Humanist Connection to support our work on Stanford campus, providing programs for the non-religious. So you know I'm happy. People can go and get this in their you know get their library copy. I don't care. I just want people to engage with the ideas.
0: That's. A fantastic stance to take and very admirable, sir. Jonathan Figdor, thank you
2: very much for coming on The Herd Mentality. Thank you so much for having me on, Adam. It was a pleasure.
0: Take care. Herd Mentalists, hear me! It's been a busy month of sorts in which it was really good to take some time away from editing Ray Comfort and podcasting to go camping with some friends as well as attending the Australian Skeptics Convention. It was a really fantastic experience and I was not surprised at how many herd mentalists came up to introduce themselves uh, even though it would have been difficult to recognise me with my creepy Movember moustache they came up to me at the event to buy me a beer or say hi it was very heartwarming and some really lovely people so thank you very much there's some upcoming audio from a few people I encountered, such as Alan von Lanthen from Switzerland, who stayed at the Herd Mentality Recording Dungeon for a couple of weeks. He runs a podcast in French called Podcast Science. It's really good if you speak French, so check it out at podcastscience.fm. Firstly, I'd like to thank all the wonderful Patreons to the show and some new supporters, including Nathan, Iron Atheist, Susan, Daniel, Albert, Melissa, Ian and Jeremy. All of you... I'm making the hours I put into the show more and more worthwhile every episode and I really hope you're enjoying what's coming your way. As you know, 10% of the proceeds from the show go to kiva.org to help women in developing countries to further their education. This episode we're making two loans, one to Ruth and one to Sonia, who are both in Paraguay and they're both for university semester fees. So everyone who is helping support me, you're helping to support others, and that just feels great. You can support the show by visiting patreon.com slash herdmentality and contributing a dollar or two an episode. It's very much appreciated, so thank you. Secondly, well, hmm, let's discuss Pastor Manning. What a lovely guy. Now, if you just listen to the show and don't follow any of my activities on social media, you may not realise that the two quote-unquote interviews with Pastor Manning have been animated. I'll put the links up on the website and in the show notes for this episode. They're, they're good fun. So here's how it played out. Pastor Manning tweeted the video and the story was run by the independent newspaper in London and about a dozen other news sources around the traps he then dedicated about nine minutes of his television program to speaking about me mixed in with a bunch of other incomprehensible rants so obviously that gave me new material to do the introduction to this very episode 78 and to animate that as well you may or may not be pleased to learn that pastor manning will be appearing on the next episode as well with some new nonsense because he's given me even more Also, catch me on the upcoming episode 93 of the Scathing Atheist podcast. So, with all the media attention that that brought, my first animation has had close to 30,000 YouTube views as I'm publishing this. So, I'm going to put the question out there and herd source the ideas. Should I animate a Raygate sketch? If so, which one would you like? Do you think a Kickstarter approach to doing these videos, would that be appropriate? And bear in mind, it would take me about a week, week and a half of full time work to create one of these so just send me a tweet Facebook message Google Plus etc or email on the website I'll see it Thirdly I'll be participating in the Dogma Debate 24 hour broadcast-a-thon with David Smalley on the 7th of December at 3am CDT or 8pm Sunday Sydney time I'll be keeping David awake if possible with some terrible jokes at the expense of our religious leaders and it's all to raise money for Foundation Beyond Belief. So please do tune in and contribute some of your hard-earned coins as they do fantastic work. So find out more at dogmadebate.com and check out the other guests. You'll already know many of them. Those idiots at Cognitive Dissonance and the Scathing Atheist are Dr. Dave Hawks, Ross from Skeptically Challenged, Dan Errol, Nate Phelps, Matt Dillahunty, plenty of others. It's going to be a cracker. So make sure you tune in So let's get on with some other audio I've collated over the last week or so. Take care, everybody. All the very best. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Hurt Mentality Outback Edition. And with me I have... Well, we've actually met. I can't can't do the normal uh, I've never met them, they've never met me nonsense because you and I have finally met. Alan, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, you can probably hear in the background there's all sorts of cicadas, flies, we've got a fire going over the back. Uh, where are we? <laughs>
3: <laughs> I have no idea. It's <laughs> somewhere. If you could lost. describe it. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. If it weren't for the flies, it would be absolutely perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, we're down in a, a valley, a gorge. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, a, there's a river, a large river. There's loads of Beautiful trees. So there's pines. I know you don't like them. It's also <laughs> we're camping. This is the the gist of it. So I, will, I, I think we've skipped ahead. Al, where are you from? Who are you? Um, I'm from Switzerland. Mm-hmm. I'm a podcaster. I guess that's how we met, mm-hmm. if I remember properly.
0: But yes, yeah. I think so. Uh, I came on your podcast and embarrassed myself with my second language.
3: No, 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 you did very well. It was brilliant. Oh, oh bless you. Yeah, Yeah, because my podcast is in French.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you do a sceptical podcast, or
3: how how would you define it? I wouldn't call it sceptical. It's kind of a side effect. It's a podcast about science. Uh, The very concept of popular science doesn't exist in the French-speaking world. Uh, we still talk about vulgarizing science and mm-hmm. you know, it's a very top-down approach and you usually don't understand a word of what the guy is saying if you don't have a, a phd in in whatever it is that he's talking about so i wanted to um, to make something uh, for smart people that don't necessarily have a, a an academic background um, so it's like yeah science for kids but for adults. Um. <laughs> Science for kids. Well, see, I I fall
0: very neatly into that criteria because my level of French, spoken and understood, um, there's actually four components to, to speaking another language or understanding another language. This is sort of off-topic, reading, writing, listening and speaking. But of all of those, I would qualify myself as a very... Oh, perhaps very early teenager and your podcast it has a whole bunch of words in there that I don't necessarily understand
3: <laughs> but I can extrapolate it, but,
0: perhaps yeah. what they do mean and it, it is really an accessible show yeah it is for those who yeah. who live in one of the 52 countries that do speak French so podcast
3: science mm-hmm. check it out, who do you do it with? Mm well there's um there's a whole team right now it's it's been done as we speak by <laughs> the rest of the the team mm-hmm. um, I'm not even the boss anymore Oh, yeah uh, I gave the keys to a new um dictator <laughs> benevolent dictator that's the <laughs> that's the model mm-hmm. um it's been very well um i'm the only the only one in the team with no um science training at all I just created the whole thing out of sheer passion. And, yeah, my love for, for, for science. But all of the guys on the show uh, do have either a PhD or a very high-level training in their specific... Um,
0: their uh, field. And, yeah.
3: Yeah. Um, we have two guys in mathematics, uh, one in biology another one in astrophysics. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they run CERN? Is this <laughs> where the, the Large
0: Hadron Collider is? Is this what they do on the side?
3: Um, no, not really, no, <laughs> <laughs> so you've
0: come over to australia the 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 third world, as it were, just because we met as complete strangers, really, yeah, totally uh, <laughs> I think we we kind of fit in the concept, yeah, so we'd spoken on Skype uh, a couple of times and you were contemplating coming on a holiday. I said, well, why not come over and we'll go to the Australian Skeptics Convention? But if you can come over sooner, we'll take a week off and we'll go camping. And I'll show you what's out in the middle of nowhere, which is
3: where we are now. Well, that's not exactly how it went, if you Uh, allow me to... Okay, well, let's hear the truth. Yeah, the the truth (laughs) is, you told me you just painted your house and Mm -hmm. you could now receive guests at home. Mm hey by the way if you want to come over Mm -hmm. uh, there's somewhere where you can sleep Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that was it and then I bought a a ticket (laughs) and we realised that by the way there is the Skeptics Convention Convenient Uh, 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 Sorry? (laughs) Convenient Yeah, absolutely Mm. um, I I just realised when I landed in Sydney how crazy the whole thing (laughs) (laughs) was It is
0: really quite odd but see I, I don't I don't know I sort of have this Disposition where people—I don't really mind whoever comes and and says hello. Yeah. The the basis of the podcast is exactly that. Mm -hmm. You know, typically critical thinkers—they're not crazy.
3: (laughs) No, not at all. (laughs) By by and large, they wouldn't jump in a plane (laughs) for twenty hours. It's going to be around the other side of the world. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Geez, it's nice having a conversation without lag. I've got—I've got to say. We're trying this out on a shiny new... Uh, it's a little Zoom IQ5 microphone for an iPad. And we're sitting in the, in the middle of the bush, surrounded by all sorts of wildlife. The bushfire going in the background. I think it's going quite well. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's sort of a trial run because when we hike out tomorrow, so tomorrow morning we're up at 4.30am... <laughs> We're going to have some bacon and eggs that we've kept cool. And just, just actually, just describe to the listeners, Al, how... Because we, we've been down here in the Shoalhaven Gorge between Sydney and Canberra for, was it three days now? Yeah, four, three, days. four days. And we've yeah. got
3: cold meat. How's that work? Yeah, I, I must confess, this is absolutely hallucinating. So <laughs> Hallucinating? <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's a French expression. Um, anyways... We've got fresh bacon. It's really as fresh as if it came out of the fridge. <laughs> or out of the pig. All right, uh, well, it would, be, it would be warmer out of the pig. So, how does that thing work? It's. Yeah, we're just keeping the fresh stuff in a, in a bag. I'm sorry, I don't have the vocabulary. Yeah, what fr- is it fr- made fresh,
0: of? Fresh stuff in English is probably not the. the oh, the cold,
3: right word. Cold, cold, cold stuff. Cool stuff, yeah. yeah so, we're keeping yeah.
0: meat. In essence, we're keeping meat, but we've worked up a system whereby there's a Hessian bag, which is a like a cloth. It's a material, yeah. so we put the the meat in that, and if we keep that bag wet and in the shade, in the breeze, as the breeze passes by, it evaporates and takes away the heat. So that actually takes the temperature of whatever is in the bag down. Mm. So after uh, after the first day of having to get up and sort of douse this bag in, in water to keep it wet all the time, you know, we we're doing this every hour or so. We then hooked up another bag and punctured a hole in it. So this is like a a, a wine bag, you it's know, not like you, a wine bag. It's a wine it, bag. It's a, a wine kid. bag. Yeah,
3: we've, <laughs> we've, g- the thing. we've
0: given it a good home. <laughs> And we punctured a hole, so we filled it up with water and punctured a hole in it, and hung it above this cloth bag, so it's constantly dripping on there. Which means that it's, in essence, it's a refrigerator. So we're able yeah, okay. to keep cold meat here,
3: just as you would in a fridge. Hmm, that's amazing. Yeah, we're keeping the solar power for the podcasts and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, well, let's talk about that
0: because solar power—that's one of my—that's one of my new toys. I quite like that. What have we done with solar power, Al?
3: Just rechar- recharged the phones and iPads and and stuff, so that you know we can live. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we have no reception here, so we're actually out in in quite a deep gully. It, it, it'd be two or three hundred meters perhaps to get
3: up. Yeah, it's a thousand. <laughs> 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 it's just awfully high. I we'll, mean,
0: yeah, we'll yeah. have to post some photos on yeah. the social media after this. It, but we are in a canyon of sorts. So there's no mobile phone reception. There's no cell phone reception. But what we do have in abundance is solar power. So we've had a couple of solar panels out. We've been charging all our devices up. We've got a little Bluetooth speaker.
3: We've been listening to all of that. Uh, um, so it feels like civilization. Did, did I mention that it's- Probably the first time since 1994 that I've been disconnected from the web for really? such a long time. How's that going for you? Um, I'm f- starting to feel the anxiety now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've got to say, I too.
0: This is actually this is a really interesting point. So let's hit on it. Why, why are you? So, why do you feel that anxiety?
3: Mm. I don't know. Not having Wikipedia at the tip of my (laughs) fingers to check whether drop bears (laughs) exist, for instance,
1: minor
0: detail. Yeah, yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah. And that kind of stuff makes me nervous. Yeah. But now we're we're way back down in the middle of nowhere.
0: We've actually got nothing. Yeah, not even (laughs) a mini (laughs) towel. We're having to make do with the real discussion, and it. We've said, <laughs> we've said for the last few days, Al, we need to record something for the podcast. Got to record something for that. Yeah, and we keep
3: procrastinating. Yeah, <laughs> went swimming. <laughs> we listened yeah. to podcasts. Yeah, get up. I finished swimming. a couple of books. Hmm. Hmm. Cook some bread. Oh yeah, yeah. Adam does that marvelous bread. Yeah, it's just incredible. Well, he does what he has to do with his dough and stuff, and then he just throws it in the ashes. And forgets all about it. (laughs) it (laughs) Record the podcast. Yeah, when it starts smelling good, (laughs) we just remember it. Yeah, And it's fantastic, just having that warm bread. With this bread, so I have this little metal
0: bowl, uh, throw in some flour, sugar, water, yeast, and a pinch of salt. You've got to throw the salt in to stop it from from, uh, expanding too far. Knead it up, and that takes probably... Oh, 15 20 minutes, maybe half an hour if it's a big loaf. Burn the fire quite hot and it creates a lot of ash, and ash is very clean. So you scrape it to one side, bury the bread in the ash, and give it uh, 15 20 minutes. And you can test the bread when it's done. You just tap it. If it sounds hollow, then you know it's ready to eat.
3: Yeah, and there's some sort of magic incantation. It yeah. <laughs> <laughs> goes with Magic. it. Magic,
0: yes. You pray to the drop bear gods that they don't fall upon you.
3: <laughs>
0: <sighs> because, yes, Alan fell for the drop bear story. He's one of those people. Yeah. <laughs> mm. But when when you come to a new country, everything is so radically different. Well, especially this one.
3: And uh, Everybody tells you that you have to watch out for deadly creatures. Mm-hmm. And they all show you pictures of their red back spiders, and uh, so, so yeah, I wasn't really surprised when you when you mentioned those drop bears. And for me, it was like two and a half in the morning. I was I was just tired. You sent me that link; it looked serious, and I, I just believed you. I shouldn't have. When when I did that, I thought, oh, you beauty? This is good news
0: because we can string it on for days, weeks, months, uh-huh. as long as as long as it takes." Al, we hike out tomorrow morning at 4.30. It's going to be a big day. We're heading up to the airport to pick up a couple of other Australian Skeptics flying in from Adelaide. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we're going to spend three days at the Australian Skeptics Convention. That's going to be very good fun. So all the very best with our hike out tomorrow morning. It's going to be good fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
3: yeah. At half past
0: four in the morning. What, yeah. what the hell
3: <laughs> am I doing here? Well, <laughs> drag re- me here. There's, there's a reason for it. Why are we getting up at 4.30 in the morning? Uh, well, just because it might get too hot yeah. to, to get anything done it's, later on.
0: When, when you're hiking up a mountain, sort of carrying 20, 25 kilos of stuff on your back, you don't want to do it when it's too hot, so we mm. need to be out of here well almost certainly before 9am so you can be followed on twitter at alan von lanthan v-o-n-l-a-n-t-h-e-n and yes
3: no yeah. doubt we'll hear more from you in the say, near future i don't see many things interesting on my twitter account but you can also follow the podcast that's at podcast science mm-hmm um, well, it's mostly in French but sometimes there are things in English and you can learn French yeah. we've got people from all around the world uh, writing to us saying hey our <laughs> podcast is so cool because I can eventually I can learn French I can hear the, the thing that I can read Yes, yeah. we do a transcript of every I've got the transcript yeah, for every episode absolutely every <laughs> episode learn French if you like science Yeah, <laughs> go to podcastscience.fm
0: Alan, thanks for coming on and for yeah, me. It's bread time. Take care.
4: <laughs> well let's <amazing>. <laughs> you got that kind of cavity in uh,
0: it. Yeah. Well it looks like I pressed the record button at exactly the right time to hear you yes. sort yes. of, giggling, of giggling. and talking about cavities. <laughs>
5: I'm
0: joined here at the Australian Skeptics Convention in 2014 with Marsh from Skeptics with a K. Over in the UK from the Merseyside Skeptics Society and a a cohort of sorts of Andy Wilson from the Incredulous podcast. I'm not
4: sure if cohort, maybe co conspirator. Uh, I'm not quite sure what the exact right piece of terminology is. Partner in crime?
0: Yeah, okay, the jury's out. (laughs) And I've got Joe Alabaster here from. Whereabouts?
6: I'm from everywhere. I'm I'm not officially representing the Skeptic Zone because I'm far too underslept today. (laughs) I'm just going to represent myself.
0: (laughs) Radio, where have we been? What have we? There's been so much going on.
6: It's been
4: huge. Yeah, it's been a really interesting weekend. I, I seem to have spent a lot of it just kind of running around trying to make sure that the stuff I'm about to do is going to work. Yeah. So I don't think I've seen an awful lot of the talks, but uh, I saw a, a bit of Ken Fraser and Ken, Ken's a, a, a great guy.
0: You, you've been very, very dizzy involved in this. Yeah. Uh, you've moderated a panel with yeah. some... Uh, had you met those guys? J- no, just... I,
4: so I, I, I had a panel that I was doing on consumer protection with uh, three of the guys from The Checkout, which was yeah. a fantastic TV show that I'd never seen before. It does in the UK, I'd never <laughs> oh, heard of. And have uh, you?
0: Did, did you do a little bit of background? I've subsequently seen it all, yeah. yeah it was,
4: it's fantastic, and I wish we had something like that in the UK. Um, there's obviously someone from the... Uh, Didier Ricardo from the ACCC, yes. part of the Australian Government, which I... The
0: I Australian Consumer Corporation and Protection Committee, involved at ACCC. I don't know. Uh, Google that. Yeah, a yeah. C- um, It uh, Alan
4: Alan Kirkman from Choice Magazine, which I hadn't really heard, heard of a bit, but uh, I didn't know too well. So yeah, I was flown around the world to do a, a panel <laughs> on Australia. It felt like I've been flown into a panel on Australian uh, consumer protection legislation, of which I was not an expert. <laughs> but uh, It went all
0: right. No, you, you, you steered the ship quite well, and Incredibly. then it, it also oh, there, there was an interesting <laughs> question that came up in the audience, Joe. What was the question and who was it from?
6: Frankly I found it spoiler alert I found it a little bit difficult to understand precisely what the question was I didn't find it very clear It's very
0: deep pack, wasn't it
6: It was a bit deep <laughs> um,
0: It was from Okay so a what was his profession
6: it was a profession that I think is possibly a little underrepresented here at a sceptics <laughs> convention.
4: I think It was overrepresented over by uh, at least
6: one.
0: It's, Quite it's, possibly. I, I think the only thing less represented is the North Korean delegation, <laughs> <laughs> because there's zero representation of that now, year It
4: was funny, because his actual question was basically saying to uh, Alan from uh, Choice Magazine, mm. why have you rubbished all the chiropractors?"
0: Yeah, why you pick therapy? on me? I've got strong feelings. Yeah,
4: and Alan <laughs> said, oh, well, I didn't need to pick on everyone. I just meant some people are really bad, yeah. and I, I, so I, I yes. apologise. And I thought, can't leave yeah, no, 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 I, no. Sorry, but no. I, I do need to pick on everyone. Has to kind of pick it up from there, really. Uh, what,
0: uh, Joe, what's a chiropractor?
6: A chiropractor is. Huh, okay, somebody who. <laughs> I just immediately want to say, not a doctor, not a doctor. Correct. Someone <laughs> um, who
4: isn't a doctor but is indeed. from the capital
6: of Egypt. Oh, <laughs> oh and. Practiced. Get out. That's regularly,
4: was, he, that's not even my joke. That's his. He, he was. He came oh, to no. me after, He came to me at lunchtime today. To I saw about, that. Uh, uh, well, first we talk about the weather in Sydney. Oh, it's quite. You know, isn't Sydney lovely? Oh, i have had a nice conversation about kind of Sydney and the the vegetation and when, when to go to the zoo and things. And by the way, about chiropractic. Right. Okay. Here we go. Oh, Are yeah. about this yeah. one study coming out of ironically enough, Cairo University? Oh dear. that's where all the best peer review happens. <laughs> yeah. But,
0: he uh, he, uh, he was overheard saying to uh, one of the presenters the um, panel on climate on
4: climate, change. On climate yeah, it was, yes uh,
0: Peter um, Peter 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 yes yeah. uh, lovely lady uh, anyway he was overheard walking up to her and saying look I agree with you on climate change but and that's all that was heard <laughs> <Yeah>.
6: <laughs> oh, yeah. okay yeah. so but, Ashworth Peter Ashworth yeah. is her yes. name and yeah, she was talking specific. about politics of communicating climate change in mm-hmm. Australia and
0: she's going to yeah she'll be coming up on a future episode of this podcast
6: excellent but oh,
0: cool. uh, The point was, I'm not a racist,
4: (laughs) but. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So. Well, it's funny, at QED this year, QED, the Skeptic Conference we run in Manchester every year, which is kind of about similar size to this, maybe slightly bigger, but not not, a huge amount. It's around about the same size. And um, there was a very interesting lady who asked a question of every single speaker. And that question of every single speaker, regardless of what they were talking about, was, why do people not accept yoga as a genuine (laughs) of physical exercise and all these amendments? Why do people write yoga off? Because I've commissioned this study and I've conducted this study and it didn't get published in this journal or that journal or that journal. It got published in this other journal. Why is this? Why are we silencing yoga? And she asked this of every single speaker. And it was like time after time. And there was a great moment where she said to Mark Chrysler, what about the benefits of yoga? And he said... Yogurt. <laughs> 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 it's just a great well website. done. As soon as she stood up for me, we knew that she was asking about the yoga thing. So I think we might open the next uh, Q&A by saying, before <laughs> we kick off, just want to say yoga, that's fun exercise. Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it is fun exercise. Going for a massage. Feels good. Yeah. Mm. Calling it carioctopractomy and mm. <laughs> claiming that it can cure. Leprosy, Ebola, uh, diabetes... And poking too
6: hard on on somebody when you don't quite... There's a potential ramp. Rumb- and poking a small child in the yes. back or the neck or adjusting their head. Yeah, I, I mean, there's, there's really no.
4: bad stuff with chiropractic. I mean, yes. mm. normally the problem is that you have kind of straights and you have mixers, which isn't what you think. But the mixers are the ones who go by uh, Daniel David Palmer's original idea that mm. his spine has an intelligence in and that. that's why his janitor was deaf. Right. I asked this guy, do you believe in. Do you do yeah. it just for muscular skeletal stuff, or do you believe in the innate intelligence yes. thing? Yeah. And he said, Well, I'll adjust people, and then if they get better, you find other things start to get better as well. Well, like, mm-hmm. no, you've evaded the question, which means you've answered the question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
6: no, that was very well handled, I thought, actually. I was but very the, the impressed. spine
0: contains part of the brainstem.
4: Yes, and mm-hmm. this is the biggest problem. And, and the, the, a lot of people say, Well, there's no downside to, to chiropractic, especially with muscular skeletal stuff. Um, it's about as good in terms yeah, yeah. of pinkling like, as aspirin, something mm-hmm. like
0: that. And no downside. Joe?
4: Well, a are wrong. Well, it de- yes,
6: yeah. <laughs> quite. It depends. I mean, see, the actual um, the winner of the Skeptic of the Year this year is actually Reasonable Hank, who Hi, is Hank. a blogger. Hi, Hank. I do <laughs> hope you're listening. Um, who is a blogger who's been covering chiropractic quite heavily for the past probably two years or so now. Mm. Um, he was also working, um, doing a lot of work with um, Stop the AVN, but mm. strangely enough, the Australian Vaccination Skeptics Network. <laughs> have gone a little bit quiet recently so he's been moving on to chiropractors and there are definitely two groups of chiropractors in australia and he is trying to get behind and encouraging others to get behind the chiropractors who do focus purely on musculoskeletal thing why they don't rebrand themselves as physiotherapists i'm not entirely sure it um, well, gives them a because bit because more still,
4: they'll do elements of physiotherapy mm. and then they'll adjust your back
6: so are they it's still prescribing? Like, the, the bit that's useful
4: is a physiotherapy bit exactly the bit that so. has a higher incidence of stroke after you've had it yes. is the back adjustments and then this is the problem is that people go on and have a stroke but they'll have a stroke half an hour later or an hour later and it yeah. takes a long time for us to even see that th- those connections even Hercules had a stroke after uh, chiropractic you know Kevin Saulball who, oh, I saw, he, talk, he spoke out about so chiropractic. So he became a
1: Christian? Yeah, know. no, he spoke out, <laughs> out about a this lot of things recently. Thing. <laughs> thing. so, so
4: he started, out, I saw this oh. thing of him, really, he had a stroke, he had chiropractic, he had a stroke and became this spokesman yeah. in America against chiropractic. Watch out, I thought, wow, we've got Hercules oh. on our side. Uh. And then he did that film, I thought, oh, <laughs> we've got Hercules against us.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Who's the other uh, nutbag... That uh, was in the odd Adam Sandler movie Anti-Vax. Oh, Rob Schneider. Uh, yes, Rob Schneider. Oh, yeah. uh, it seems that actors, yeah. when it comes to having opinions about things that. Are important and sensible. <laughs> Few and far between. Oh, well, I don't Sarah Michelle Gellar. Thinking, uh,
6: oh, Sarah Michelle
4: Gellar. Yeah. Lopez mm-hmm. is, is fantastic yeah. At putting out uh, messages about you know, pro-vaccination. Yeah. yeah. Who be things like that? Victoria Beckham's
6: just gone public about being pro-vax as well. Oh, really? Actually, yeah. She's really? been well, tweeting. So cool. It's been nice.
4: I, w- I don't think anybody in the world would make their health decisions based on what Rob Schneider has to say. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't <laughs> I don't know what, what <laughs> he gets from saying this. Really. <laughs> he doesn't. Um, he's it. been yeah. deleting
6: tweets recently, yeah. actually, on the topic. um a few people got a bit angry, and then noticed that when he had been criticised for a while, he got rid of his anti-vax tweets, and he's been a little bit silent on the matter.
4: But you think if he was going to be, you know, censoring embarrassing stuff he'd done, he'd get rid of like half his film career. <laughs> Only half. <laughs> <laughs> he'd be like, well, hang on. If, I've, if I'm, where, I've got to start somewhere, do I go for the anti-vax stuff, or do I get rid of American Gigolo? Oh, it? The um, Juice Bigelow. Juice Bigelow. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh. Best avoided. Can you, you
0: can't delete that tweet, Sal, Can you? Guys, thank you very much. We're uh, sipping a coffee in between uh, a bunch of presentations here. Uh, just, just really quickly, uh, the SGU, the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, was just mm. on. Who walked in?
6: Uh, well, somebody was shuffled in very cleverly by George Rupp. Um They had a lifestyle statuette to <laughs> present to somebody, giving them the Randy Award for the year. And it was about 5 or oh. <laughs> the animatronics of it were amazing it was stunning I wasn't
4: totally convinced it's like when you see E.T. you think mm-hmm. that looks really really mm-hmm. good but well, you know it's still a puppet. It was, was a little bit uncanny valley.
6: Puppet, uncanny valley. Yeah. The
0: puppeteer was exhausted. I oh, see I was up the back. The puppeteer was exhausted. Yeah, no, the
6: ventriloquism. Imagine. I didn't know that George Harab, <laughs> Harab could do such a fantastic a Randy guy. voice. Yeah, a amazing. Guy.
0: James <laughs> Randy walked in. Mm, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was quite a nice touch today, wasn't it?
4: It was beautiful. Yeah, I was he's actually... Whisked actually he's was being
0: created. put on ice and sent off to... Actually... um him in ice before they
4: sort of. You'd have to. I mean, it's some sort of cheap... Like, um, like a packing crate <laughs> and then you fill it with kind of like those like you're trying to when you see Indiana Jones found a relic in the middle of the jungle somewhere mm. and he's trying to and you, you have to pack it in a crate and pack up straw and things around it to make sure it's safe in transit uh, I think that's what they have to do with James Factory to keep it uh, to
0: extend to the, uh, the, the, the lifestyle yes <laughs> well yeah, uh, friend. Well, would I say friend of this show or would I say uh, acquaintance distant acquaintance of this show uh, Jake Wharton from the Imaginary ah. Friends show mm. uh, was unable to attend this very convention because he's hosting the event, I think, for Brisbane, Perth, and Adelaide with yes. uh, James oh, Randi. I may be, I may be wrong, but that's why Jake wasn't able to be here.
6: Yeah, he's doing it. Um, also, as Richard Saunders, who's my producer on the Skeptic Zone, <laughs> is doing. I think, I think some of the nights that... Jake Farwater isn't do it but I was really happy to hear Jake got it that's yeah. fantastic no, good yeah. for you
0: Jake well done sir
4: Yeah, the two in the film aren't because
6: we? Uh, are. um, yeah.
0: we, uh,
4: we didn't have Randy but we had Justin Whitesell but I organised the, the UK premiere bits, cool. of earlier, probably May this year or, or June this year something yeah. like that Yeah, it's a fantastic film you have a chance to see it it's, it's, yes. it's a really great look it really amazing is amazing work Randy's done over the years I'm looking yeah. forward to
0: going to see that I'm actually going to go and see Randy in Sydney yeah, I'll very, see you there. Very soon. Oh right, job! Well, maybe yes, we can get on you on Sunday. the podcast again. It's only taken what Certainly. eighteen months? <laughs> uh,
6: something like Well, I was absolutely adamant that I was never going to appear on a podcast until one year ago when I was at the Skeptics Convention in Canberra. And Maynard approached me and pointed a camera oh camera? <laughs> He might have pointed a camera there, might have been a camera attached, um, pointed a microphone at me and asked me a question. He
4: go anywhere without a camera on him at all times. It's
6: he needs to record the suits. Uh,
4: in, in fairness, I think it was a legal thing. I think it was a court this, order. That everything is, he does has to be documented just in case
6: it comes up as part of a trial in the future. Oh, dear.
0: This, this, is, this is quite an abstract conversation for people who don't know who Maynard is, Joe.
6: Oh, he's one of our lovely reporters on the Skeptic Zone. He's been around... Australian media culture, I suppose, for goodness, he was on Triple J, which is where I first encountered him in the early 90s, um, hosting an afternoon show, a morning show, I think before that. Also, he was on television a fair bit, making appearances in different things, doing Mm. a lot of um, Foxtel music presentation, ABC... An institution, I say. Yes, and a and, uh, an suits- erstwhile <laughs> <laughs> interviewer. <laughs> and,
0: and a very well dressed gentleman uh, to boot. <laughs> very
6: suave, yes. We've had. Have you three seen suit suits. He's Learned today? The stripy. Yeah, so How could you him, not? I like it, the flat uh,
0: Google saw, Earth has picked it out. Well, he, said he, told <laughs> it he saw
4: it in uh, saw something very similar in Austin Powers, yeah. and he went to his tailor obviously he's got a tailor, and he went see that to look <laughs> his suits. But he's got a tailor. Right? He said he went to his tailor and I want a suit like this, and his tailor said, "Well, we don't do a fabric like that in Australia, but if you go to like an outdoor furniture shop, you might find <laughs> that they have them as, as covering for outdoor furniture, and that's why his suit is made out of. It. he bought a lot of fabric from an outdoor furniture.
0: Shop. I wonder if they'll do that me a shower curtain suit, said, so. he <laughs> the the,
4: the, the leg out, and you could see the sort of the, the polyester kind of seam going oh, wow. down the back
6: <laughs> of the couch. <laughs> okay, to be fair though, he was wearing a really nice sort of shot silk number in an iridescent purple on Friday night. And while we're talking about him, I should say Maynard.com AU. He has a lot of podcasts. With Tim Ferguson is one <laughs> oh, of them. Yes. A lot of fun called Bunga Bunga. <laughs> they might mention me occasionally. My Tim
0: Ferguson, he's a good Tim enemy.
6: Ferguson, yes.
0: Very well. Guys, thanks for appearing briefly on the Herd Thank Mentality podcast. Thank and I look you. forward to doing some more damage with you on the sceptic scene. Certainly. Take care. This
3: is
0: Adam Reeks. Welcome to the Herd Mentality. Yeah, that's a
5: terrible, yeah, terrible Australian accent. Yeah, I can't <laughs> be Australian accent. So, who have I got with me in my living room as we speak? Hi, I'm Alan. And your Twitter
3: handle? uh alan van lanthan good luck with that <laughs> <laughs> it'll be in the show notes and
7: and graham and my twitter handle is gray oz
0: g-r-a-y-h-o-z yeah because that wouldn't have been evident
7: no if you just said Grey oz. it's true <laughs> <laughs> and and elvin and my twitter handle is early tetrapod
5: where have you guys come from adelaide that's you and Graham and yep. uh you're from Adelaide as well?
3: No, I'm from Switzerland. That's
5: just a bit further away. In uh twenty five words or less, what has the last four
0: days entailed? Who wants to go? Uh long black cock. Uh,
3: long black
7: cock <laughs> a Long Blackcock. That's more than twenty five words. Nate, like, you wanna start because you're the visitor?
3: Uh, okay, yeah. Uh, I'll be the serious guy. Well, we've been attending a sceptics conference here in Sydney, mm-hmm. and it was brilliant.
5: Yeah? Yeah. So we all rocked up, uh, slept in obscure positions, <laughs> secreted around Chateau Riarcus
7: <laughs> It's been a lot of fun. Really, it has. It's um, We've done a lot of things. We've met a lot of wonderful people, really. It's been um, a time when you really get to see so many uh, sceptical luminaries all in one place at one time. And they're so available. That's the thing that makes these events mm. worthwhile. You can walk out into the hall and start talking with any one of your heroes, if you like, um, or heroines, depends on who they are. Uh, Rebecca Watson was here too. I didn't unfortunately get to have a uh, chance to talk with her, but I did manage to get some photos with Marsh yep. uh, from the Merseyside Skeptics, the Skeptics with a K. And that was great to chat with him too. I had a beer with him as well, which was um, even more fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, got photos with the Novella brothers and we had, yeah, just a hell of a time. Yeah. It
5: was a blast and we've done nothing really but eat, drink and be merry the whole time. <laughs> so this is, this is, at present, what, Monday morning. We're all feeling a little bit second hand. In about three minutes, you guys are going to have to run off to grab a taxi and get to your respective countries slash capital cities around Australia. Thank you very
7: much for coming. It's been a lot of fun
3: having you guys. Well, thanks for having us. Really yeah, it was, yeah, just wonderful. Great. I mean,
7: you're really generous with your place, and yeah, uh, we had ball. And thanks, ball. thanks for the latte. <laughs>
5: <laughs> We've been giving the uh, the coffee machine a solid workout, as it were. <laughs> guys, travel safely. Take care. Thank you. Thanks.